you would take your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians chapter number 2, Philippians chapter number 2. A lot to be thankful for, a lot to be burdened by, but uh, certainly still a lot to be thankful for. I, I was just trying to figure out what to say and not sound too negative, but I don't know any other way to do it. But here just recently, this um, Olympic athlete trying to, uh, not end the Olympics yet, but um, turned her back on the flag in the national anthem and covered her head during that medal ceremony. And I just thought, you know, here's someone that is so-called representing our nation on a world stage, competing, and yet dishonoring our nation. That's a travesty, and that ought not be allowed. If I had any say-so, I would say, you're disqualified. I don't care if you can run and jump like Superman. We don't need you. We don't want you because you're unpatriotic. And I realize that there are plenty of people that have plenty of things to be disgruntled by. And by the way, you know, a lot of disgruntledness is because we've lost our thankfulness. When you start, you take somebody that gets disgruntled, at a workplace, gets disgruntled at a church, gets disgruntled in a family, usually at the root of that is familiarity. And, you know, when when you got your job, you were just thankful to get that job. And then you found out that it was work, and you found out that your boss had bad days, and you found out that nothing was perfect, and uh, you lost that gratitude that you had a job to begin with, and then you get disgruntled. Same thing happens in a church. Same thing is happening really from coast to coast in our nation. We've lost that sense of gratitude, and I just can't help but just be heartbroken for all of the lives that have been lost and all of the sacrifice and hardships. Everyone that signed the Declaration of Independence went through just unimaginable hardships. Many of them were tortured Many of them lost their their livelihood, their homes, their lands. They were persecuted in many, many ways. They paid a price by putting their name to that Declaration of Independence. And here we've got people that, look, if, if you've got something to protest, don't use our flag and our national anthem as the venue. That's all I'm saying. It's just a horrible, horrible travesty and ingratitude to use the, to, to abuse the blood and memory of those that bought us this freedom uh, in order to make your voice be known. There are so many other platforms and ways in which people can make their voice known, especially in this day of technology. You don't have to dishonor our flag and our national anthem and what this nation stands for in order to do that. I, I didn't plan on saying that, but I had to. Philippians chapter number 2, and if you'll look with me at verse number 14, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Now, before we read 14, every time I look at 14, I'm reminded of verse 13, which really is, is a very important memory verse to me. It says in verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This is in response to verse 12, which says to work out your own salvation. For it is God that worketh in you. And thank God that God does work in the life of a believer. I'm working on a message, and I I almost uh, preached it here this morning, that deals with the various forms of lordship salvation. Listen, I don't believe in any form of works for salvation. So please get that clear. And yet at the same token, I don't believe in this easy believism. I said a prayer. I believe in Jesus. And so now I'm going to heaven. Why in the world would God, why, why would God want to save someone? And here I'm preaching maybe next week's message. Why would God want to save someone that's basically saying, 
Jesus, I want your salvation, but I really don't want you. How does that glorify the Lord? And, you know, what, what the average person thinks is that our salvation is all about us. And it's not. We are, we are the beneficiary of God's salvation, but it is for the glory of God. And, it, you know, Jesus died on the cross primarily to please the Father. You know, people think, well, it was just all about me. Some, you know, I'm in love with me, so surely every, you know, God is too. You know, there, I just don't believe in this one, two, three, repeat after me. Now I'm on my way to heaven, salvation. And people who, when you, when you read this about God, which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, if they were honest, they'd be saying, God's not working in me. Oh, I believe in the good Lord and the man upstairs or whatever, but I can't really say that anything supernatural is working in my life. That that's a that's a scary, scary territory to be. Let me get back to today's message. All right, verse number fourteen. The Bible says here, "Do all things without murmurings and disputings." Verse fifteen, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The message this morning comes from verse 14 and the beginning part of verse number 15. And I want to, I want to preach to you on the subject. Here's a question, and it's a really good question. Are you shining? Or are you just whining? Let's go to the Lord and ask His blessings. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for working in our hearts and our lives as You promised. And uh, God, You've done so much for us. Thank You for the cross of Calvary. When we think about the suffering that uh, earned us our freedom in this nation, Lord, behind all of that, anything that's of any eternal value, Lord, we'd have to point to the suffering of Christ on the cross. If it wasn't for Jesus, uh, we wouldn't have any of these freedoms that we have. We wouldn't have any of these blessings. But above all, Lord, we would still be lost and in our sins without the cross of Calvary. Lord, we're asking you now to bless us as we preach the word of God today. We pray, Father, that the things that are said today would be a challenge, would be received and with open hearts and with a willing spirit. Lord, I know that the points that we're going to be talking about here today are 100% true because they're not my points and my opinions, but Lord, they're straight out of the Bible. And I pray, God, that you'd help me to do a good job in presenting them. May the Holy Spirit bless us and anoint us for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've already mentioned, today we celebrate the 245th birthday of the United States of America. Our nation began with a declaration, but let's face it, independence was not official until September 3rd, 1783. Hey, that is seven years, 61 days of conflict in order for us to enjoy the freedom that we enjoy today. That is a long time to be at war with an adversary. That is a lot of suffering and a lot of dying, a lot of blood that was shed just because as a nation, our founding fathers declared by putting their name to their word saying, we are independent, we are our own nation. Now I have no doubt whatsoever, no doubt, if any single one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence could see our nation today, they would be heartbroken they would not be able to contain the tears or perhaps maybe even just the, the being in dismay, the shock, perhaps maybe even the anger 
to see what our nation has become as they think about perhaps maybe their wasted labor, sacrifice, and yes, strife. If they were to be transported in time and to see our nation today, they would be in disbelief. I can't prove that. There's no way that that theory can actually be scientifically proven. But I am certain that anyone that has read their writings, has read the Declaration of Independence, has read the Constitution, has read anything of real, true United States history would say, Preacher, I know you're right. I agree. Amen. They'd be in shock. And they would look at our nation just like Paul said to the the Christians at Philippi, and he referred to them as living in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Brothers and sisters, as believers in Jesus Christ, those that are truly born again, it's no uh, it's no great uh, profound revelation to any of us that we are living in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation. I'll not spend any time today in pointing out the evils of our nation. We've done that in many sermons in the past, and no doubt there will be times when it is appropriate to do it again. Nothing wrong with pointing out the evils of our nation, just like there's nothing wrong with the man of God pointing out the evils in our homes and in our churches and in our lives, in our hearts, if you will. It is totally appropriate to preach righteousness and to preach holiness and to warn people of the judgment of God. But I'll not spend any time today talking about the evils because I believe that these evils are clearly manifest to anyone today that really truly knows the truth or wants to know the truth. You know, we've got a generation of young people today that we could look at their lives and their values and we see that they are so contradictory to the Word of God. And, and we can scratch our head and we can say, well, they just don't know any better. Hey, I got news for you. We've got a generation that doesn't want to know better. They said, just forget, we don't want you haters and you judgmental Bible thumpers. We, we're okay with the world that we live in. And it's a travesty and it's a tragedy and it's a, it's a heartbreak. People don't know the truth because people, as a general rule, don't want to know the truth. As I think about the city of Philippi and the nation, the surrounding area of Macedonia in Paul's day, I did a little bit of research of the history of Philippi during Paul's day and I found that Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia. And it became a Roman colony when Mark Antony and Octavius, of course Octavius was later known as Augustus Caesar, when they had their showdown in the city of Philippi with Brutus and Cassius. Brutus and Cassius were Roman senators who uh, viewed Rome as a republic. And because of their political views of Rome, they saw that Julius Caesar was a tyrant and that he was a dictator and they didn't believe that that's what Rome was supposed to be. And so they they assassinated Julius Caesar. And it was this showdown when, uh, when Mark Antony and Octavius basically uh, hunted down and confronted Brutus and Cassius, and they, of course they were slain in the city of Philippi, and because of that history, Philippi was colonized as a Roman colony. Philippi was known as a, a, a Greek culture that was very much zealous worshipers of the goddess Diana. It was an area that was rich in mines, and natural resources, and it had an extremely strategic location, not only for trade, but also for strategic military occupation. I find that in the city of Philippi, that the theater and the Roman games were so prominent 
during Paul's days that it was known, get a load of this, as Little Rome. This is what Philippi was like. This is what the surrounding area of Macedonia was like. According to history, there were very few Jewish people that lived in Philippi. In fact, no record is given of any Jewish synagogue existing in Paul's day. And that's both history as well as in the missionary journey of uh, Paul when he went through the city of Philippi. It is said that to have a Jewish synagogue, you had to have at least 10 Jews in order to form a synagogue. So it is likely that there weren't even 10 Jews in this city. Now, there are some noteworthy things that I want to point out out of our text. And so look with me at our text in verse number 14. It says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. I want you to notice the punctuation at the end of that verse. It's a colon. And that means that after this statement, there is a list of things that are relative to the statement, do all things without murmurings and disputings. I want you to also notice that being blameless and harmless, look at verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, that that statement is connected with being obedient to verse number 14. You say, preacher, I like the idea of people looking at me and saying, hey, there's a man or there's a woman that's blameless and harmless. Well, we're not going to be blameless and harmless if we're not willing to obey the Lord and do all things without murmurings and disputings. And then I also want you to notice in verse number 16 that it says that the holding forth the word of life in verse 16 is connected to the shining as lights in the world in verse 15. Hey, preacher, I, 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 I sang this song in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. We know that. We know that we're supposed to shine our lights, but how in the world do we do that? Well, one of the things that's connected is that we hold forth the word of life. We hold it forth and we live according to the Bible. You can't shine your light to a lost and dying world unless we first are, if we don't have any light in us. And hey, guess what? The light comes from the Bible, amen? And so, our message today is, are you shining or just whining? Let me give you some points here from uh, just some observations, some pastoral wisdom on how we can all stop whining. Now, I'm going to confess to you, I'm preaching to myself just a little bit right here. Because uh, I get a little bit upset, I get a little bit... um, frustrated with our nation and its direction. And sometimes, you know, the Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And sometimes we we get a little bit frustrated and without even realizing it, we're always murmuring and complaining about our president, our vice president, the speaker of the house, And I'm not saying that there's not a time to talk about things that are not right. Amen? In fact, one of the things, our president said that he supported this athlete that put a shirt over her head and turned her back, wouldn't even stand on the podium during our national anthem saying that that's what America is all about, people to be able to express whatever they want and whenever they want. And I think that's a travesty. That's not, that's not good leadership. So I'm not talking about never exposing error and standing up for the truth, but sometimes if we overwork it and we're just constantly griping and complaining, then 
what happens is it just ends up being a bunch of whining. How are we going to stop our whining? Number one, number one, a lot of brethren won't like my point here, but I believe I'm right. Number one, stop trying to save America and save Americans. You know, it has been vogue in fundamentalism for so long, this concept of God and country, God and country, God and country. It's been the norm for so long that the average Bible-believing Christian thinks that patriotism, being a proud citizen of the United States of America, is biblical. I told you some people aren't going to like that. Now listen, I am not unpatriotic. But I'm a citizen of a better country, and that citizenship always comes first. And I've studied American history. And you know what? This nation was born. You take... It was not a document. It was not a president that made this nation what it is. This nation was formed because of the citizens. It was an outpouring of the quality of Christianity and decency and morality and character of the citizens of this nation, and out of that was formed the United States of America. It doesn't start with the document, it doesn't start with Washington, and now all of a sudden everybody becomes good people. No, if you don't have good people in a nation, then our nation, what it was founded on, just crumbles. And our founding fathers even wrote that. They knew that as soon as Americans can no longer govern themselves or provide from themselves then the Constitution will completely crumble. It's crumbling today, folks. In fact, you know, I, I, I'm heartbroken over the lives that were lost when that condominium collapsed in Miami recently, just last week. But I, I, I've read several articles, and you know, there were some cracks in that structure that were located and had been reported and evidently nothing was done or it wasn't deemed by engineers that it was anything serious. But they saw the cracks. They saw it crumbling. They did nothing about it until, boom, it collapsed. And that is exactly what's been going on for at least 50 years in our country we see the cracks and the crumbling and we see and it's just a matter of time until everything that we hold dear in this nation is going to eventually collapse. The spiritual bankruptcy, the financial debt. How in the world are we going to fight another major war on a global front if we... Are we going to go to war against China and say, excuse me, can we borrow money from you to fund our war against you? How's that going to work? How, how can there be... My wife and I just celebrated our anniversary, and we drove up to Boone and Blowing Rock, had a wonderful day together. But... As I'm driving up there, and then we drove back a different way down through Lenore, do you know how many billboards and signs and reader boards that I saw that said, help wanted? I'm not kidding you. It was like almost every business that you passed. They're wanting somebody that will come and work. Why won't people work today? Because they don't have to. And, and, and you say, well, who's paying for that? Taxpayers. Really? There's not enough taxes to pay for all of that. It's gotta come from somewhere. 
And so we're crumbling as a nation. We've got to stop trying to save America and just start saving Americans. Because until more people get saved and people start governing their self and start living righteously and loving their neighbor as their self, I don't care. You can fund the police, defund the police. You can do all of those things and you're only going to be able to do so much to keep this from becoming total anarchy and total chaos. You ought to read about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. You talk about parallels between their moral decline and when they started declining morally, when the the values of the home and the sanctity of marriage and all of those things began to decline It was just a matter of time until the foundation was removed and the entire, the entire empire just imploded. You know, we complain about America because we're frustrated. Perhaps we're frustrated because we're striving to accomplish something that God doesn't want us to worry about. You ever thought about that? You know, God is providential. He is sovereign over the affairs of man. I believe that with all of my heart. But I also read in the Word of God that God has given jurisdiction to the kingdoms of this world to guess who? To Satan. When Satan offered all the kingdoms of this world to Jesus Christ, they're on that temptation in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Listen, Jesus knew that Satan had power over the nations. And perhaps maybe we're striving to do something, hoping that God, we're saying, we're, we're trying to save our nation. God, please bless us. And maybe what we need to do is just start doing what God's blessing. Every good movement... You ever notice this? Every good movement ends up perverted and crooked in some way or another. It can be something that's great. You know, I have seen in my lifetime, I think that the movement going back to the authority and purity of this King James Version of the Bible, I am all for that. But I've even seen that movement become crooked and perverted and pharisaical. And people who live, I mean, who live worldly and wicked and they think that they're right with God just because they carry the right version of the Bible. You know what? It, that all, all of the religions, all of the movements that start out good, you watch and see they eventually get crooked and perverted. Why? Because Satan makes sure that they do. You know, there are Bible colleges that started out great in our nation teaching people the Word of God. Do you know that the, 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 the University of Harvard started to train preachers to preach the gospel here in America? You can't find the gospel. You can't find God anywhere near Harvard today. And you think about every major, uh, major university. You think about even good, fundamental, solid Bible colleges that started out for the right reason. And what happens they end up morphing into something that's crooked and perverted. You know why that is? It's because they, I mean, when God blesses or when good things happen, human nature is we start getting our eyes on the blessings rather than the blesser. Happens every time. Every single time. And that's exactly what's happened in our nation. You know, the Pharisaical movement started out as a great movement. I mean, you had you had dead Orthodox Judaism back uh, several hundred years before the time of Christ, and you know a bunch of people they they the Pharisees formed, and that that word Pharisee just simply means someone that's set apart. And you know what you had? You had people that were believing the Old Testament Scripture and they were separating from the Sadducees who really didn't believe anything. And it was started out as a good movement. But by the time that Jesus shows up, that whole Pharisaical movement had taken on a life of its own. And they forgot why they separated 
and for whom they separated, and now all of a sudden, the separation was all that they focused on. You know, you can trace the roots, even the independent Baptist movement of the last 100 years started out as a great thing. And now you got independent, you talk about, and listen, I, I am, I am not gonna give the, the new evangelicals or the contemporary movement a whole lot of slack, but I will say this. They accuse Bible-believing Christians of fundamentalists. They accuse us of being Pharisees. Now, I, I, I've examined my heart. And I've looked at my life and my witness and my testimony and my ministry, and I, I don't believe I'm a Pharisee. Even though I stand for the right book, I believe that Christians ought to dress right. I believe that Christians ought to make the right entertainment and music choices and have the right friends. We ought to separate from evil influences. I believe all those things, but I don't believe that I'm a Pharisee. But I do know that they're out there. I do know that they're out there. If you don't dress like us, you know, there are places with, I mean, literally in our county and surrounding counties that they, I mean, good men, good preachers stand on the Word of God. They wouldn't let me preach in their pulpit for nothing because I have this beard. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus had a beard, right? They wouldn't let you, Brother Mac. They wouldn't let you preach either. So where'd that come from? Something, something's not, something's messed up there. I understand that if you go back in American culture, there was a time back in the 60s when the beard meant something different than it does today. You know what? If I was living in the '60s, I wouldn't have a beard. I, I, listen, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do anything to my hair or my facial hair or my clothing that would that would identify me with something that's not good and right. And so, yeah, there are cultural changes, but don't don't make things a legalistic approach and. All of a sudden, and, and you know what's sad is they never can say that, well, we believe it this way because of the Bible. No, it's like, well, what would so-and-so think of me? Well, I don't believe that because I believe in old-time religion. What is that? I'd love to know what that is. I believe in a religion that's timeless. I need to move on here. I'm getting bogged down on my first point. Number two, how to stop whining. Do what you can and stop worrying about results. We, we focus too much on results. And we get frustrated because things don't pan out the way that we hope. We pour ourselves into a cause and nothing comes of it. it and we feel like we just labored in vain. And isn't that... What Paul said in verse 16, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I tell you what, you want to start whining and complaining, start focusing on results. And listen, you're going to find that much of what you do is wasted labor if you're only doing it for results. But if you're doing it for the glory of God and to put a smile on Jesus' face, if you do the right thing, at the right time and the right way, you can rest assured that if you put a smile on the face of your Savior, guess what? We just won. We just accomplished what we set out to accomplish. It doesn't matter if anybody listened or got converted or got right with the Lord. We put a smile on our Savior's face and in all eternity, that's the only thing that's really going to matter. Number three, be thankful. I've already said a few things about that, so I'll just drop that in and move on. And uh, then my last point is turn off the news for a while. Sometimes you have to. You know, if you can't handle it and you find yourself just always frustrated and complaining and whining, 
then turn off the news for good. Because, listen, we can live without knowing what's going on around us. So, that's how to stop whining, or at least that's a four helpful tips. But what I really want to focus on for the remaining of the message today is how to shine. We know that we need to shine and that we ought to shine, but how exactly do we do that? Go to Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16. This is kind of a... um, I haven't showed you a bunch of Bible verses yet. This is really not a topical message. It's kind of a miniature expository message from two different passages. Our Philippians 2 text... And then we're going to be looking at Paul's dealing at Philippi here in Acts chapter number 16. Verse number 6, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, as I mentioned at the introduction, a colony of Rome. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. There's Further proof, I believe, that there was not a Jewish synagogue in Philippi because it was common for Paul on the Sabbath, if there was a Jewish synagogue, that's where he would go and, and uh, dispute and, um, and give the gospel. It says, And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. How do we let our light shine in a crooked and perverse nation? Well, number one is we've got to learn how to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. In verse 6 and 7, we find here that the Apostle Paul is going throughout the regions of Galatia and Phrygia. And he had, he had essayed to go to Bithynia in verse number 7. What does it mean to essay? That means to attempt, to plan. Paul did not know exactly where God wanted him to go. And so Paul did what any good Christian ought to do, when you don't have any specific direction from God, then just go with the general direction from God. If you don't know exactly uh, where to go or exactly what to do, then just do what the Bible says to do. That's uh, There's a lot of times where God doesn't necessarily spell out every specific thing that He wants us to do. You know, he, he, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And so we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. But that doesn't mean that we sit around praying and saying, Lord, tell me who you want me to witness to. If you don't know anyone specific that God wants you to go and witness to, then just find anybody and witness to them. Amen. Just do it, because that's what God wants us to do. Paul said, we essayed to go to Bithynia. That's what they were planning on doing, and somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit of God 
made it clear to Paul's heart, he said, no, that's not what I want. He put up a roadblock. He put up all of those signs and maybe perhaps Paul felt it in his spirit. I had something just a few days ago, a decision that I had made and something that I was planning on doing and it just didn't set well with my spirit. And I began to pray and I said, Lord, you know, this, this seemed like the right thing to do. It, it felt right at the time, but right now it's not feeling right. And I don't know exactly what to do. So I began to pray and I said, Lord, please guide me through this. I want to be sensitive and yield to the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Within just a few days, the Lord was so gracious and He answered that prayer. And as soon as that answer came, it was like total peace in my heart. It was just a burden lifted. And I knew that that was the Holy Spirit of God trying to lead me away from something that He didn't want me to be involved in. As Brother Mac Pennell would often say, God's good about that. Did I quote him okay there, sister? That's what I remembered him saying. God's good about that if we are listening, if we're ready to obey. Now, if we're double-minded and unstable, and we're just wanting God to tell us what we want to hear, then we're not going to hear what what we need to hear. Because God knows our heart. But when we are really sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, then God will lead us and guide us. Let me say this, I've said it many, many times in the past, you will find the will of God while you are doing the will of God. Just do the will of God. And God has a great way of just taking care of the rest. Number two, number two, listen for the Macedonian call. In verse 9 through 10, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, a specific calling, a specific person appeared in Paul's dream. And this, the Holy Spirit revealed this vision to him. And this man said, come over and help us. And in verse number 10, Paul recognized that this was the Holy Spirit of God assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Listen, there are needy people everywhere. They're all over the place. They're in Statesville. They're out west. Brother Ben Smoker just preached out in the southwest. There's some needy people. Amen, Brother Ben? There's needy people up uh, up in the New York area. We, we heard from the Saracens just uh, t- several weeks ago and about their gospel ministry there in Brooklyn and so forth. Listen, there we, we heard from Matt Johnson last week. There's needy people in Mexico. There's needy people in Papua New Guinea. There's needy people everywhere. And God may be calling you to go to a needy people. He may be calling you to go. He may be calling you to stay. Let me tell you the same thing that Brother Runyon told me when I was a young man trying to figure out what God wanted me to do. He said, Brother Randy, if you don't know what he's trying to tell you, then just bloom where you're planted. And that was good pastoral wisdom. Listen, God will make it clear to you and other believers. Look at verse number 10 here in the Word of God. Paul has the vision, but notice it says, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. This was something that Paul did not just come up with his own. He wasn't a lone wolf McQuaid. He had people traveling around with him. And while Paul was the primary leader and the Holy Spirit was leading Paul, 
the people around him, the them and the us, they recognized it. They saw it. When the Holy Spirit of God is working, then other people who are walking with the Lord and have the Holy Spirit's leadership in their life, then they're going to see some of the same things. If you want to make your light shine, then listen for that Macedonian call. Number three, in verse number 13, it says, On the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside. Go down to the riverside. Say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, this is probably because there was no synagogue. But let me say this, and here is a problem in modern Christianity today. It's a big, huge problem. Nowadays, we think that everything has to be organized, promoted, or financially supported. I, don't, I, guess, I guess you're thinking about what I said, and that's why you're quiet. I'll say it again because I believe it's true. Nowadays, we think that everything has to be organized, promoted, or financially supported. You know, sometimes, sometimes I get people, I get letters or phone calls, people wanting us to support them in their home mission, their ministry that they're doing here in America. And sometimes I just think, why, why are we, why would we want to do that? You know, I, I look at, I, I think about the faithful people that go out on our street ministry every Saturday. And folks, we've been having anywhere from 20 to 30 from all different ages. And you know what? If, if one of you sent out a letter to a local church and said, hey, I, I got this street ministry. I hold up signs to tell people about Jesus and I, I'm raising support so that I can do that. And, and look, if I'm a pastor, I'd be going, what? Why would I do that? And we think that everything has to be supported. It has to be organized. I mean, God forbid that you would stop and witness to someone and it's not something that's that the pastor announced that we're going to do it all together. And we, we nowadays everybody has to have a bandwagon. You know, I can't just do what I'm supposed to do. I have to have somebody on my bandwagon. You know, here's the problem: is that in the day of social media, it appears to me that too many of God's people have to get some attention for everything that they do. There's, there's a lot of ministers out there that, I mean, everything that they do, they have to post it on their Facebook. Oh, I, I, I went and visited someone in the nursing home. And I'm a wonderful pastor, and I did this and I did that. And sometimes I just want to say, why don't you just shut up and do it? But no, we have to have attention. We have to have a selfie and we have to have a photo op so that everybody knows what we're doing. And Paul didn't have to have any of that. Paul just knew, I've got the gospel. You know what ministry is, folks? Two words, you can remember this. It's Bible and bodies. You got the Bible and there's, there's people everywhere. And if you want to make a difference, if you want to let your light shine, then you need to just start letting it shine. You've got to go down to the riverside and just do it and quit thinking, well, and here's the truth. Do you know that knocking on doors today is not as effective as it was back in the 70s? Okay, fine. Maybe we're not going to spend as much time knocking on doors, but... There's other things that we can do. I've been thinking about this a lot. And I've been thinking here, especially this post-pandemic era, and I've been thinking, okay, God, I know that there's some things in my life that I've got to get back in gear that I've let slip. And so I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. we got to start 
going back down to the riverside where lost souls are, where people are, and do what we can to shine a light because that's the only way we're going to make a difference. Number four, praying and witnessing. In verse 13 and verse 14, they went to the riverside to pray, and then they ended up telling these women about Jesus Christ. Do you have any clue how powerful corporate prayer is? This is Paul and his companions. They went down so that they could pray together. And there is something about when we do the right things and we do it together as God's people, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. Well, preacher, I can pray by myself on Saturday night. I'm sure you do. Or maybe you don't. And you know, we're talking about living in a crooked and perverse nation, and we think, well, 8 o'clock Saturday, it's just not convenient. I have, that's when I have, I have people over. That's when I have social time. That's when I spend time with my, you follow what I'm saying? How, how crooked or perverse do you think that our nation is? If you don't think that it's that bad, then fine, don't, don't come to prayer meeting. But if you really think that we're raising up our little children in a world that really needs help, I highly suggest that you start getting a burden for coming and praying because your reasoning for staying out of that corporate prayer among God's people, uh, one of these days, we're all going to have to stand before God and God's going to say, you know what, I could have made a difference, but it just seemed to me like nobody really cared that much. It just wasn't convenient. Corporate prayer is powerful, but there's no light where there's no heart. Notice it says here in verse 13, it says, where prayer was want to be made. This wasn't a bunch of people that said, okay, Paul, we'll come pray with you because we don't want you to think that we're losers. We, we, we better check this off of our list. And, you know, I don't, I don't want the preacher to think that I'm a bad church member or that I'm a bad Christian. Look, we got to get beyond that. And, and I'm not giving anybody a guilt trip here. I'm just saying corporate prayer is needed. But the only corporate prayer that's going to be effective is when we get to the point where we recognize that we live in a crooked and perverse generation. We better start getting some shining light going here. And that's what corporate prayer is all about. That's what Paul and his company did. And it worked for them. It'll work for us. Number five, go against the grain. Go against the grain. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but in verse 16 through verse number 24, we find that the Apostle Paul, he had some opposition. There was, um, uh, let's read here. It says that uh, there was verse number 16, and it came to pass as we went to pray a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. You know what you got here? You've got a witch, basically. you got this woman that's got the, a lot of power and a lot of influence and is making a lot of people a lot of money. And she starts following Paul. And she's saying, these be the servants of the Most High God that show us. And she's just, she's basically heckling them. And Paul puts up with it for days. Until finally he has a gut full, and he'd been being nice, but he gets a gut full, and he turns around, and he says in verse 18, But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He went against the grain, and you know what the result of this was? He ended up in that Philippian jail. And that's when we find number six, if you want to let your light shine, we've got to learn how to rejoice even when things get bad. Paul and Silas at midnight, what are they doing? 
they're singing praises to God. And because of their attitude, their spirit of rejoicing, even though they had bloody backs from the whips, and, and I imagine they're, they're in stocks and they're in chains and, you know, those dungeons were not pleasant places. They weren't laying in a padded bed. They were probably leaning up against a stone wall with shredded backs from the whip, and yet they're still finding the grace to sing praises to the Lord. And that Philippian jailer comes running in when the earth quakes and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's shining a light right there, folks. Complaining, arguing, debating. You can know everything about what's going on in Washington, but none of that, none of that is shining a light. And what is needed in this crooked and perverse nation is that we shine the light. As we close, go to Matthew chapter number 5. Conclusion is simply this. Don't be good for nothing. We know what good for nothing means. And, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 5, he talked about us as his people being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Verse number 13, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. Brothers and sisters, let's not be good for nothing. He says, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. If you want to let your light shine, be salty. Don't be ashamed. Don't hide your light. Don't allow anything to obscure that light. I mean, not anything. It may be something that's not bad or evil in and of itself, but does it obscure or hide your light? Are you shining or are you just whining? I hope that you will ask yourself that question. And if the answer is, I'm doing more whining than shining, then I hope and pray that we'll all collectively get right with the Lord and start doing the same things that Paul and his company did. Go down by the riverside. Start being sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Hear that Macedonian call. Get a burden for the people here in Statesville, in our area. Get a burden for the lives around us. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to get a burden for people locally because we think, well, no, everybody knows the gospel. Uh, au contraire. Not everybody knows how to be saved. There is so much deception and misinformation all around us. Lots of churches, but not a whole lot of light. This area needs the light of Jesus Christ. And we are the ones that are supposed to let it shine to a crooked and a perverse nation. Let's stop whining and let's start shining. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your grace upon us as a nation. We certainly are a crooked and perverse nation. Lord, I think about what the Word of God says. This world that we live in is a present evil world. But Lord, you called us to be a peculiar people. Lights shining, God, not to be assimilated or part of this worldly wicked system. But Lord, to come out from among them and be separate. And to shine the light. Lord, may people see in our lives and in our spirit and in our words what Jesus Christ has done for us. Help us to hold forth this word of life as you have called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the pianist plays softly. God spoke to your heart here this morning. If you've done more whining than shining, then 
I'd like to just encourage you to get it right with the Lord today. You've not been shining like you ought to be shining. Maybe there's some things that the Word of God showed that Paul and his company did that you need to start doing as well. I know God spoke to my heart about a number of these things. And I hope that we will all, as a church, as a family in Christ, that we would all take heed to these truths. let's all stand to our feet. Appreciate you being here today. Hope everybody has a great 4th of July and celebrating our nation's independence. So much to be thankful for. Let's close in a word of prayer. Brother Ralph Harding, if you would, close us in prayer. When he's finished praying, then you are dismissed. God bless you.